This is Cruz Cordero, and I want you guys to do what I do. Listen to the new Numa Godcast. Thanks for listening to the new Numa Godcast today. As always, we ask for your support, and there are several ways you may do so. The first step is subscribe to the podcast on your favorite podcast app. We're on iTunes, Anchor, Podbean, Google Podcasts, and many more. Did you know that testimonies are one of the biggest ways to build credibility? Well, that's why we need the following to happen, which is one of the most important things we may ask from you. If you're on iTunes, once you subscribe to the podcast, immediately before life kicks in and you forget about it, rate the podcast in two easy steps, which are only available on iTunes. First, give us a five-star rating, which gives us more visibility in the podcast rankings. And after you rate the podcast, write an inspiring comment about the podcast that will tell others why they should listen to the podcast. Second step, follow us on your favorite social media platforms. We're on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn, Parler, and YouTube. Third step, subscribe to our YouTube channel. Fourth step, subscribe to our email list at newnuma.com forward slash subscribe. Last but not least, notice how none of the above steps cost any money. However, if you care to give to the mission, you may send as little as 99 cents per month, up to as much as you would like to send into this ministry. Just go to anchor.fm forward slash new dash numa and scroll down to where you will find the support button. Click there and the rest will be clear. Once again, we appreciate you and your support. This is Norm from the New Numa Godcast. Peace. You are tuned in to the New Numa Godcast, hosted by Norman Brown, a.k.a. Professor, where we address the taboo from a biblical view. Our podcast is all about real talk with new life. And quite frankly, you'll either love it or you won't, because we deal with tough topics that the church rarely touches. Somebody's got to do it, and that's why we exist. So just sit back, chill, and enjoy the ride, because it's going to be good. Peace. What's up, family? Um, This is Norma, obviously. Just wanted to um, talk to you guys about something that is really a hot, topic right now in the world, in the news and stuff like that. Um, Let's get right into it. So Afghanistan has gone through a major upheaval recently, and um, it is actually going to be from what we know of Taliban and the Muslim culture and stuff like that, mixing that together and then the hatred against America and those types of things. Um, It's going to be pretty, I'm going to say it's going to definitely be intense in Afghanistan um, for a long time. Now, the reason why I'm even thinking about this and, you know, uh, wanted to discuss this is because a friend of mine recently was talking about you know, what's getting ready to happen possibly to women and, and, and fem- females in general over there. Um, you know, 
I don't know how much you know about the Taliban. I'm not going to say I know much about them. But what I can tell you is that they are the ones who have been known to be extremists. They are the ones that are known to, um, or they're at least one of the groups. Let me say it that way because we could talk about Al-Qaeda as well. But they are one of the groups that is known to be a very um, extreme group in the Muslim type of uh, realm, if you want to say it that way. And with that being said, we're actually not sure what the heck they're going to do. I mean, if you think about it, you look at what the uh, Afghanistan people have been used to for the last 20 years with America being in there and also the United Kingdom for their own separate purposes. Um, it's been interesting because the Taliban never wanted the Americans to be in there. But when they came in and they started doing certain things that they did, the Taliban then tried to blend in with regular people in Afghanistan. So that made it very highly difficult to uproot them and to, you know, get to certain points of breaching that group. <clears throat> so the point I'm making is this, that um, with an unbridled country, of them being the leaders, this thing is about to be so possibly unstable in many ways. Now, the one thing that we would say that we can say that we have on our side for the rest of the world, that is, is that thank God a country like Afghanistan does not have the capabilities of a country like Russia or America. The reason why that's very important to know is because because of how extreme these people are, the Taliban specifically, these idiots would start trying to blow up all kinds of things. I can guarantee you that. They would be all over the place blowing up stuff. They'd be, you know, obviously beheading people, which probably is coming up soon. You know, there's been some rumors, rumblings of them possibly you know, um, beheading some people, you know, this is something they've been, they've been known for, known to do. They've done it publicly. They've done it on TV or, you know, videos around the world that have been spread around the world where they've done this. And the point is, is that you never know with a group like this what they're going to do next. Now, one of the things that I will say, this kind of brings up a very good point about women specifically in the society of Afghani people, it has been a, uh, it's been a very different culture there from other Muslim nations, other nations that were basically uh, founded in um, Islam and um, were based in Islam in a great degree, in a great way. And, because of that, there are certain, obviously, strict things like Sharia law and, you know, stuff like that. Um, women having to wear, wear the burqas, I, I believe it's called. And um, But the bottom line is 
they've had so many different things that they have done to oppress women there. And bottom line is by the the mere fact that the Americans and the uh, people from the United Kingdom have now pulled out of there, that's coming back and even to probably a greater degree. For the last 20 years, they've progressively had more and more uh, – as it re- as it relates to the women, there's been more and more freedom, and now that's all about to be reversed by one decision to move out. And um, I think it happened quicker than people were expecting, apparently. But the thing is, is that this goes to show, in so many ways, how ineffective a military presence can be when there's people that are able to just blend in to society and act like they have nothing to do with whatever extremists or whatever there are. And then when the time comes when the extremists come into power or whatnot, now all of a sudden those people rear up their heads. So, as you know, on New Numa, I talk about a lot of things that are trending or taboo, risque types of things to talk about. And this is one of those types of things. I mean, you know, in America, there was a point in time where we were pretty much a lot like what the Afghanis are with the Taliban in power, with that kind of extreme, um, you know, leadership. And the fact of the matter is that it took people rebelling, rising up in resistance to whatever you want to call a status quo, what it used to be like, whatever. And the thing is, is that a lot of times with stuff like that, you find that, uh, it takes a revolt to make to make a change in in situations like that. I mean, you're talking about a volatile situation, number one, but number two, you're talking about something where people's lives are being affected by it daily. Now, there are things in the Bible that people might read and and they will think, oh, this these people were oppressive to these people specifically to women, because I I really feel like this is actually highlighting something within that society as it relates to women, because from what I read, what I've seen, they've been removing or assassinating or whatever women who were in some power position. They absolutely do not want a woman in power anywhere. Now, I need to stress something. I'm sure I've touched this on other occasions when I've had other guests on here or whatever, but I just want to address it just for this specific, since I'm on this specifically, I want to address it for this specific conversation to say that, you know, the word of God says that in Christ, there's neither Jew nor Greek, bond nor free, male nor female. There's also another scripture that says there's neither barbarian or Scythian, 
the thing that I'm trying to get at is there is equality. Now, equality, this is a huge subject because equality is different from ability. Equality is different from position. Equality is different from function. So let's make sure up front that we get that that out of the way that we understand there's a difference between equality and those things that I named. Why is this important to understand? Because the thing that a lot of women in America specifically and in any kind of Western society where women have been given freedoms and things of that nature and, you know, and now they are, you know, doing things that, you know, women a hundred years ago or maybe more would not have imagined that they could do is because um, right now in these places, in in these countries, um, we've seen where women are, they're starting to mix up and confuse what equality is because they think equality means, oh, I can do whatever a man can do. And I'm here to tell you, ladies, in a loving way, you cannot do everything a man can do. Neither can men do everything a woman can do. However, this is not about equality. It's about how your body was designed. It's about how your mind was designed. God gave us different ways of thinking. Between men and women, typically you're going to find men are more practical and analytical about the things that they think about. Women tend to be more emotional and and uh, they, they are more feeling feelings oriented so emotions and feelings versus practicality and logic and analysis those are very 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 different so the point i'm making is this a lot of women in american society or just western society in general they they confuse equality with you know, being able to do anything a man can do. In principle, uh, you can be given the opportunity to try to do what you've seen men do if you want to really go there. And to me, I feel like a lot of women in this case are just trying to prove a point that can't be proven. Now, I'm going to give you, I'm, I'm going to say something very strong because and I'm getting ready. I'm going to have a podcast coming up where I'm going to talk about this as well. And I'm going to talk about this whole feminism movement. Feminism has been around for a long time. Right now we're talking at least five decades, probably longer than that, but I'm just saying at least five because it was before I was born when this stuff started. <clears throat> so, Bottom line is um, we are now at a place where feminism has become very strong, but there's some women that are starting to realize that feminism is definitely not what it was all cracked up to be. 
And I'm going to tell you ladies something, and this is something I'm really, I really don't want to say too much because I want to really save this for when I talk about it. Um, and, um, hopefully I'll be able to get my sister back on here and we'll talk about it. Uh, my sister Britt Eaton. And, um, anyway, here's the thing. Women, if they don't realize about how certain men think and how a lot of men want things to kind of like how they love to say, okay, you think you that, you think you want to be equal to a man and this, that, and third and be able to do anything a man. What's good, family? We know you're enjoying today's episode of New New Magodcast with none other than Norman Brown, the professor. But we had to interrupt briefly to tell you about Norman's latest book. Recently, with all that's been happening with the pandemic, many have had questions. And in May 2020, Norman was hospitalized for nine days with COVID-19. When he came out of the hospital, he came out with a powerful testimony of how God saved him from death and his inspiration to write his newest book, Covert COVID-19, An Attack on Kingdom Agendas. Now, in this book, he shares his personal story of how he was attacked by the spirit that causes this virus as he declared war while he was writing this book, but he overcame it through faith, prayer, and fasting. In the book, he shares the revelation that God gave him about how this virus affected and exposed certain things about the church at large, which are necessary for believers to understand what's going on and this new thing God is doing in the earth. His book is available for download today on Amazon, so get your copy today. can do okay well then why don't you get up in the middle of the night and go see if there's a burglar coming in the house when you hear that noise oh why don't you go answer the door when somebody is at the door knocking banging on the door and they they want to come in and they threatening and all this kind of stuff why don't you get out of the car and go pump the gas and this that the third and go pay for it and whatnot how about you go into the store and you go buy the groceries and all that and you bring them out and you put them in the car all by yourself without the man's help even though he's in the car how about all those situations and many many more that i could come up with later but the point is is that when women press certain issues like all this stuff about I can do whatever a man can do and all that kind of stuff. That's when men, especially men that have a strong personality, A-type guys, type A, <laughs> then you'll find that those kind of guys will be the very ones that be like, yeah, well, why don't you go do this since you so you all that, since you think you can do everything I can do. Why don't you go do that? How about this? You get this and pick that up instead of me picking it up. How about you open the door for me since we got equality going on? You know what I'm saying? Like, it's people that'll be extra with it. And some will even go to being petty. <laughs> I got to say, I'm thinking about this. I'm thinking about certain guys that I know, they would be petty about it. They would be really, really petty. And they would do it to prove a point because they're like, oh, you think you all this and you that, blah, blah, blah. Okay, well, go ahead. This is what I want you to do. 
You know what I'm saying? You're trying to be like a man. Well, go ahead and be like a man. Do that. Do this, you know? All of these things are just meant to just, like I said, it's to be smart, really. It's to be like, you know, um, a smart aleck. <laughs> and and the thing about it is, I'm, I don't want to get too far. I don't want to get off on that subject. I'm going to talk about that more at another time. I'm going to leave it right there. Going back to what I was basically trying to get at with Afghanistan, it's a situation over there now where it's pretty volatile, especially for women and and, and female children. You see, the thing is, is that one thing that you'll find about Muslims is that those kind of Muslims like that who act so extreme about certain things will be the very ones who are promoting some type of sexual acts, you know, without marriage. They might even be selling people into some type of slavery, stuff like that. And they're doing all this as a uh, Muslim extremist. My point is that Afghanistan could very well be on the brink of that. And as I was thinking about this the other day, I was really, really finding myself concerned about what is going to happen in Afghanistan. A lot of people are trying to get out of there. Imagine if your country, if you're in one of those kind of countries that's free, has all these freedoms and stuff, and overnight the government changes, but when it changes, it's such a 180 that you have no idea what's going on. You don't recognize it or whatever, and now everything has changed in one day, and you have no idea what that means for your life. Imagine you were placed in a situation like that. What would you do? Do you even have the money to leave the country you live in? Now, if you're talking about America, for instance, I'm just using America because that's where I live. In America, we only have two countries that border us, Mexico and Canada. Canada, kind of easy for us to get into. Mexico really is even easy for us to get into. The question is, what would you do once you get there? Because if they find out you're not from there, then you could be deported right back to where you came from. And most of those kind of countries, now, I don't know. I can't say that about Canada. I really don't know about Canada. But I would presume Mexico, especially based on the history that we have anyway, I would presume they would be quick to send somebody back to America and not allow them to stay over there. That's just my presumption. It's not like you would per se be going to Mexico to have a better life. That's not what people think about when they think about going to Mexico. When people think about coming to America, that's what they think about. But I'm just saying that to make a statement. The statement is that in a situation like that where you have to literally, it's like you're going into a worse situation just so you can be away from some radical extremist type people. That is a major situation. That is a big deal. 
And then you're talking about a mass exodus from the country going to these other countries that surround it. That is a big deal. So I'm sure there's going to be more that's going to be opening up um, and being um, unveiled as time goes on. This is really, really fresh and new. So we don't really know what is going to happen there, how it's going to be over the next coming months, years, even. But for right now, people are just expecting the worst. And I would just say as believers, all we can do is just pray that God will be able to get involved in that government and change things around. But obviously, it's not just going to be about people in the government. It's going to be really about the whole country as a whole because when you're talking about the whole country being basically a Muslim country, they're under another God. So with that belief that they're under, they are strongly attached to all of the stuff that is involving that specific belief. And that means that uh, it would be fairly difficult for that to be overturned. See, here's the thing that people, I keep trying to tell people this. People don't listen. The ones that want to say that God is sovereign, they don't want to listen to this. But God is not sovereign. I'm just saying it for you to hear it from someone who has read the Bible, who understands how God operates and why he does not allow himself to do whatever he wants to do in the earth, specifically. Now, the thing that you need to understand is that God set parameters for himself to operate in within the earth realm, the earth realm. Because he set these parameters with his own words, he cannot break his word to do whatever he wants to do, which is why no matter how many times people try to overlook it, try to, you know, skirt around it or whatever, nowhere in the Bible after God created people did he just do stuff without a man or woman's agreement. Now, there might be situations that we see, for instance, let's just say it like this. Okay. If I say, as a man, God, I pray that you open up this door of opportunity. If I'm righteous, if this is according to God's will, if I am in faith, with those com- that combination of those three things, I have now given God the permission and the right and the authority to be able to come in and do whatever whatever it is that he wants to do in the earth. I mean, think about this. When Jesus was on the earth, Jesus was God in the flesh. But did Jesus heal everybody on earth? No. But if he's God in the flesh, why didn't he heal everybody on the planet that was sick? Why didn't he heal everybody who he saw 
that was sick? Why didn't he heal everybody that he heard of that was sick? I really want that to marinate for you to really think about that because this is something very important. This is a very important topic to talk about within Christianity because too many people, and this even goes, you know, this actually goes to atheists too. Because whether you believe it or not, or whether you know it or not, a lot of atheists have become atheists because they believe God could do whatever he wanted. And when he didn't heal their mother or father or grandmother or grandfather or whoever it was that died from some disease or whatever it was, and they felt robbed of that person's existence, and they blamed it on God. The only reason why they were able to blame it on God, or not able to, but the only reason why they did blame God is because they had the misinformation as well that God is sovereign. I'm going to tell you right now, if God was sovereign, there would be no hunger on this planet. There would be no sickness on this planet. There would be nothing that was that's here now none of it would exist if God was sovereign. Because if God was sovereign, he would have stopped Eve from eating the tree, the apple from, I mean, the, the fruit from the tree, and he would, have definitely, he would have definitely stopped Adam from eating that fruit. Did he stop them? No. Why did he not stop them? And it wasn't because he didn't have power. It wasn't because he doesn't have all power given unto him in heaven and earth. It wasn't because of that. And here's the thing where we now have to understand the difference between power and authority. He has the power to do whatever he wants, but he does not have the authority to do whatever he wants in the earth. Why? It's not because he's not God. It's because he gave his word. He spoke a certain word about what was happening on the earth how he designed it, how he made it to run, and he cannot break that. It's no different than if an engineer says, I'm going to make this car over here. This car is going to operate with this kind of fuel. It's going to have this kind of engine, these kind of tires, all that stuff. He can't come in and just be like, oh, you know what? I'm going to change this cylinder today so I can run it on another way, because I just want to do that today. No, 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 no. He can't come in and do that. That is not possible. He has to abide by his own engineering that he created when he made that car. He cannot circumvent it. He cannot do anything to defy it. He's made the commitment. He made a commitment as soon as he designed that thing. And that means that whatever comes with that is what it is. He can't change it. He can't modify it. He can't, you know, make it fit his plan and his objectives and whatever. He cannot do that. And there are many people who would listen to this and they would be angry at me because I'm telling them that God is not sovereign. So let's uh I wanna I wanna do something real quick. I'm gonna look this word up. 
we're going to look up the word sovereign in the Bible to see if it's in here. Oh, isn't that interesting? Nowhere in the Bible does the word sovereign come up. Nowhere. Okay. So I'm going to say it like this. In the context of what people normally think of when they hear the term sovereign, there is no, there is nothing in the Bible that shows that. Now, I just came across something that I'm going to, um, I want to see something real quick because this is a moment that uh, I think that is good. It's good that we see this, but I guess what I want to, what I'm trying to point out is something that's deeper than even the meaning of the word that I'm looking at right now. So there is a word. I will say that there is a word in the Bible that if you look it up, it says firm, strong, Lord, master, superintendent of household of affairs, um, reference to men who are masters, husbands, prophets. Listen to that. That's it. Husband, governor, prince, king. So then you got uh, reference to God, Lord of Lords. That's a key way that it, that's a key to seeing this because it says Lord of Lords. And the word Lord, um, in some references, it means controller. Okay? Now, if I look at the Strong's definition, it says sovereign, that is controller, human or divine, master or owner. So here's the thing. It's not sovereign in the sense of what most people think of when they hear the word sovereign. See? Now, I, I want to look up the word sovereign just so we can see what the word sovereign means. It means a supreme ruler, especially a monarch, possessing supreme or ultimate power. So here's the thing that people have got to realize. When they hear that word sovereign, then they automatically think that that means something where Somebody just does whatever they want to do. And here's the thing. A person that is sovereign is not God. So how in the world would you say, okay, I'm sovereign, and which means that I could do, according to what most people think, that means they could do whatever they want to do. Right? So having ultimate power is saying ultimately God has the, he's designed certain things to happen on the earth. He knows what's going to happen in advance. Ultimately, he has the ultimate power. Why? Because God knows how to get a man or a woman that will agree with him. Let me give you some examples. Abraham was in a city. He said, 
well, no, he wasn't in the city. He was outside of the city, and he said, Lord, if there are this many righteous, then I want you to save it. God honored his words, but he said, there aren't that many that are sovereign, that are, that are in that city that are righteous. So then God, Abraham rather, goes down to a lower number. He goes down to, so he keeps going down till he gets like 10 people. When he gets to these 10 people, God still can't find 10 righteous people in the city. The only righteous people he can find in the city is Lot, his two daughters, and his wife. Those are the only people. Now, that is saying a lot. And I'm 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 just stick to what we're really talking about today. I'm not gonna go off. Why is this important? Because God was listening to a man negotiate with him on how the terms would be in order for God to destroy the city. Now I want you to hear how this went. God says, I'm gonna destroy Sodom and Gomorrah. Now, if you really, if you don't know how to read between the lines, what you're really seeing here is Abraham is like, okay, you can't destroy it if it's this many people. God says, okay, let's see if it's that many people. Then he finds that there are not that many people. So he says, okay, well, if it's this many people, then you can't you can't destroy it. So God says, okay, let me see. He goes, he looks in, he says, there aren't that many righteous people either. So he says, okay, well, if it's this many people, then you can't destroy it. The bottom line is he keeps on going by Abraham's words. It was Abraham's words in a negotiation that prevented God from doing what he wanted to do. And the thing is, is that when you see that, when you see this example, if you don't know what to look for, you completely miss what's happening here. So the scriptural reference is in Matt, I mean Genesis rather chapter eighteen, and I'm gonna start at verse uh, I'm gonna start at verse let me go okay I'm gonna go up to verse sixteen I'm gonna go to verse sixteen. So Genesis chapter 18, starting at verse 16. And the men rose up from thence. You know what? Let me read it in another version. After this, the men set out from there and looked out over Sodom. Abraham went with them to send them off. Should I hide from Abraham what I'm about to do, the Lord asked. Now think about this. God is asking whoever is with him, should he hide something from Abraham? Number one, God is asking for advice, for counsel. 
don't go too far with this one and, and get out there and start getting weird on me. But I'm just letting you see how God is making himself vulnerable. That's what I want you to see in this. God is making himself vulnerable. And he actually has made himself vulnerable since the beginning when he made man and then gave them authority in the earth. He made himself vulnerable from that point on. And it was possibly the first time he ever was vulnerable in his existence when he made man. That was the first time he became vulnerable. We're going to have to talk about that another time, too. Let me let me put a pin in that, and we'll get to that one another time. But here's what I want you to see. So verse 17 Hold on, I'm trying to I'm trying to write something real quick. So you got sovereignty going on here, but then you see vulnerability. Now, I want you to notice something that happens here. It says, since Abraham's descendants will become a great and powerful nation, and all the nations of the earth will be blessed through him. Indeed, I've made myself known to him in order that he may encourage his sons and his household that is born after him to keep the way of the Lord and to do what is right and just so that the Lord may bring about for Abraham what he has promised. The Lord also said, how great is the disapproval of Sodom and Gomorrah. Their sin is so very serious. I'm going down there to see, I'm going down to see whether they've acted according to the protests that have reached me. If not, I wish to know. Then two of the men turned away from there and walked towards Sodom, while Abraham remained standing in the presence of the Lord. Now, we're going to see those two men later, by the way, in the story. Those two men are angels, actually. Verse 23, Abraham approached and asked, Will you actually destroy the righteous along with the wicked? Perhaps there are 50 righteous ones within the city. Will you actually destroy it and not forgive the place for the sake of the 50 righteous that are found there? Far be it from you to do such a thing to kill the righteous along with the wicked so that the righteous and the wicked are treated alike. The judge of all the earth will do what is right, won't he? Listen to the words that Abraham is using. It's all legal term, terms that he's using here. Legal, legalities. This is what people, most people do not understand about God. God is wrapped up in legalities. Legalities mean something to him. So people need to understand that if you're talking about something that uh if you're talking about something that is a tech there's technicalities involved in it, God himself follows his own technicalities. God is the ultimate judge above every judge on the earth. So if a judge that you've seen in a court is very technical about what the law says about certain things, and they follow that, imagine God. 
God created all of these laws and everything. He, above all, will follow his own laws and legalities that he put in place because everything is upheld by his word alone. That's what the Bible tells us. Everything is upheld by his word. Now, I'm kind of seemingly getting way off track from the Afghanistan situation, but I'm trying to get you to understand something, and it's going to come together in a moment. I'm going to wrap it right back around, and you're going to see why I said all this stuff. So let's keep on reading here because you need to understand this. The Lord said, verse 26, if I find 50 righteous people within Sodom, I'll forgive the whole place for their sake. That's, that is powerful right there, powerful. Abraham answered. Now listen to Abraham's answer. This is going to be key. Look, even though I am only dust and ashes, I ventured to speak to my Lord. What if there are five less than 50 righteous ones? <laughs> In other words, 45. Will you bring destruction upon the city because of those five? The Lord said, I won't destroy it if I find 45 there. Abraham continued to speak to him, asking, what if 40 are found there? The Lord replied, I won't do it for the sake of those 40. Abraham then asked, I hope my Lord will not be angry if I speak. What if 30 are found there? The Lord answered, I won't do it for the sake of those 30. Look, Abraham said, I presume to speak to my Lord. So what if 20 are found there? For the sake of those 20, the Lord responded, I won't destroy it. Finally, Abraham inquired, I hope my Lord will not be angry. If I speak only once more, what if 10 are found there? He replied, for the sake of those 10, I won't destroy it. As soon as he finished talking to Abraham, the Lord left, and Abraham returned to where he had been sitting. Now, this is a key. There's something very, very interesting about this story that people tend to overlook probably when they read it. You got to realize Abraham stopped at 10. It sounds like, and it reminds me of that situation when the one uh, person who uh, was approached by a prophet was told to take the arrows and strike them against the ground. And I think they were told, I can't remember exact wording, but he was like, and for every time you strike the ground, you know, there's something going to happen or whatever. I think something about his enemies being destroyed. And the person only struck the ground twice. But had they struck the ground three times, they would have gotten a complete and utter destruction of their enemies. I want to look that scripture up real quick because that's a very important one to um, – to see in the scriptures. It is a very, very important um, situation. Second Kings chapter 13, verse 18. I'm going to start. Actually, I start at verse 15. Elisha told him, 
Pick up a bow and some arrows. Maybe I should go a little bit before that. Verse 13. So Joash died, as did his ancestors, and Jeroboam assumed his throne after Joash was buried in Samaria with the kings of Israel. When Elisha fell ill with the sickness from which he was about to die, King Joash of Israel came down to see him wept in his presence and told him, My father, Israel's chariots and horsemen. Elisha told him, Pick up a bow and some arrows. So he picked up a bow and some arrows. Then Elisha told Israel's king, Draw the bow. As he did so, Elisha laid his hands on top of the king's hands and ordered him, Open a window that faces east. So he did so. Elisha ordered him, Shoot. So he shot. Then Elisha said, this is the Lord's arrow of victory, the victory arrow against Aram, because you will defeat the Aramanians, Arame, Arameans at Afik until you will have utterly finished them off. After this, Elisha said, pick up the arrows. So the king picked them up. Then Elisha told the king of Israel, strike the ground. So he struck it three times and then stood still. At this, the man of God became angry at him and said, and told him, You should have struck five or six times. Then you would have attacked Aram until you would have destroyed it. But as it is now, you'll defeat Aram only three times. So here's the point that the guy had control in his hands as to the destruction of his enemies. Just like Abraham had a control of how many people God would save that city for. But when he got down to the point where he saw, wow, man, God can't even find 10 righteous people. This place definitely needs to be destroyed. That is the point where Abraham came into agreement with God's thought and basically gave God permission at that moment to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah. Before that, I believe had Abraham said, what if there are three righteous people in Sodom and Gomorrah? Are you going to still destroy it? God would have said, you know what? If there are three, I will not destroy it. Or I think God wouldn't have said if. I think God would have said since there are three, I will not destroy it. And really, I guess I should have said since there are four because there was his, there was Lot, his wife, and two girls. So, but the point is, is that these are a couple of examples. The last example I'll use is Moses, where it says, in so many words, it said um, he was going to go with Aaron, talk to Pharaoh, and he was saying um, that Aaron would be as a mouthpiece and as a prophet unto Moses, and then Moses would be, would be as God to Pharaoh. That was how it's supposed to go. And so here's the point. The point is that... God worked with Moses to free the people that he wanted freed. 
but he needed Moses' agreement. Moses' agreement with God is what caused the miracles to happen, which caused the plagues to happen, and it's also what ultimately freed the people of Israel because the king, the Bible says that the king, or not the king, the pharaoh rather, he was, um, his heart was made hard by the things that happened to him. So that was, that's where all this, uh, well, people, they try to say God, you know, he made him angry or made his heart hard, but they make it sound like God was like, I make, I mean, become hard now. I'm making your heart hard. Be hard, you know, like that kind of thing. God didn't do it like that. That's not how God operates. Matter of fact, he can't do that. He created us to where we are the only ones who can change our own hearts in the sense of not, let me, let me rephrase that. He changes us into his image and likeness, but it only is because of us having the desire and the willingness and all those kind of things for the change to come and putting ourselves in position for it to happen. So the point, the point I'm making is this, um, because God cannot just show up and just do whatever he wants in Afghanistan, even though we may pray for God to do things and whatnot, God is still is, is limited by man's will, desire, availability, those types of things. Those are the things that determine what God can and cannot do. And, of course, faith. So as long as, you know, um, it's in the will of God for certain things that happen over there in Afghanistan and there are Christians that are praying for Afghanistan, those things will happen because all God needs is your agreement with his plans. Once he has your agreement with his plans, those things will come to pass because he now has the authority in the earth to do it. That's what I'm trying to get at. That's what I've been building up to to explain all this time. Listen, we're going to pick this up another time. Y'all need to, you know, I would recommend that you go study these stories that I brought up, get into these biblical references. But uh, the situation in Afghanistan is is has gotten real already. And it's going to get even more real, you know, as time progresses. And I'm just, like, really curious as to where this is going to go. So until next time, thank you for listening to New Numa Godcast. Thank you for supporting. Thank you for following on all social media platforms that you're on. Make sure you subscribe to the podcast, whether it's your first time listening or your 100th time listening. Make sure you subscribe to the podcast if you haven't already. And also, subscribe to the YouTube channel. Just look it up, New Numa Godcast. The one, there's two different ones that might come up. The one that has the most subscribers, that's the one that you want to be on. That has all of the videos that we've uploaded so far, um, ex- except for maybe one. But all the rest of them are up there that have been uploaded to YouTube. All right, so thank you again for listening. I appreciate you guys. And matter of fact, one more thing. 
make sure you go to the um, iTunes or Apple Podcast, whatever they call it. Give us a five-star rating on there and give us a comment, man. Give it a comment, uh, inspiring an inspiring comment for those that have never listened to the podcast to get them enthralled and make them want to listen, make them want to get in here. Thank you again. Appreciate it. Have a great day. Peace. What's up, family? This is Norman. Thanks for listening to New Numa. We appreciate you, and that includes your feedback. What do you like most about the podcast? What are your favorite subjects? What types of guests would you like to hear more? Shoot us an email today at new.numa.podcast at gmail.com and let us know your thoughts. Peace.